0: Uh, let's bring Spike back. Oh, Spike. Spike lost his audio, so he's he's going to reboot. Uh, Downtown Joe is here, mentor to future radio stars. I'm Bob Rivers, wannabe musician. I changed it away from politics because I am so tired of talking about politics. Even wow. to not take a side is, you know that Rush song? If you choose not to decide, you still have made a
1: choice. Yes, That's Rush, not yes, but yes, I know. Oh, it is Rush, that's right. Yes, it is Rush. And you said Rush, but I said yes.
0: Oh, you said yes. (laughs) But I
1: know, yes. Both
0: inducted the same year into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All right, let's see if we got Spike's little mic thing fixed. Are you there? I'm here. Okay, we're all good to go. Uh, We're going to be joined by the late Kathy Faulkner, our surprise guest this week, who was our music director and interim program director during a very important part of the show's development at KISW, the very first radio station we all worked together at in Seattle. And still, you know, between KISW and KZOK, then was two decades of uh, being very fortunate and the right place at the right time and having a great city uh, and, and really wonderful managers and support people. Um, did it go to shit? Uh, <laughs> after that, not really. It was more, it was more challenging at KJR because we were working for clear channel, which became iHeartRadio. radio. And there was a, little how do you more- pronounce that? iHeart iHeartRadio, radio. Yeah. Oh, I've been, I, I thought it was, I hurt. I hurt radio. Yeah. I've,
2: you know. I've been, at, I've been saying it wrong all these years. I'm yeah. so sorry.
0: Well, and we originally worked for entercom, which I used to call rear entercom because you love to make fun. <laughs> of the places you work. And now you work for Bonneville, which by all accounts is one of the kindest most human radio groups out there.
2: Yeah, they're and, good
0: people. And, and actually, really, all of the people at the local level have always been great. We've yes, always had that's support, true. Oh, supportive program directors, market managers. Uh, there was a brief time when I worked when we were at CBS and we were supposed to be syndicated and the syndication deal somehow fell through. And I had to fly to New York to sit down with a major, uh, you know, the, what do you call them uh, in the mafia?
2: The Emperor? Bosses. Oh, sorry.
0: Yeah. And 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 when I made that trip to New York, it happened to coincide with the final episode of The Sopranos. And I, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but um, I went with our agent, Paul and our market uh, president, Lisa, and we went to the bar where Tony Soprano would come to New York for the sit-down meetings Yeah, with the New York Mafia. You remember that bar? You brought me a T-shirt. Yes. I, I still have it. So we went to that bar with 300 other fans to watch the final episode of The Sopranos, greatest series about the Mafia ever done. And I will say that the most Mafia experience I had in that trip to New York, was actually sitting down with the CBS bosses. Not that bar.
3: <laughs>
0: but uh, it, it's all water under the uh, bridge and bodies in the bags fully decomposed now. So, it's all
2: mobsters under the dirt now. You exactly. know. Yeah.
0: It's all good. So it's Bob, Spike, and Joe. Kathy's going to join us in just a little bit. Uh, before she does, I'll just say this. Uh, we want to talk to her about the miracle that happened at KISW in the 90s, and the miracle of Seattle music. And each one of us has our own experiences getting to hang with some of the big, huge stars or, um, you know, invite them to my garage to play. But it was Kathy Faulkner who really worked doing the, I call it the Lord's work, because to me, music is like a religion. And bands were breaking in Seattle and then going national all over the country. And between our program director of Steve Young and Kathy Faulkner, they were the radio station that people looked to from all over the country as to what was happening. When did the end start? That was uh,
1: early in the 90s, right? They were right in the very right there, too, in the like
2: 90s. 92 93 92 that's what i was thinking too a little bit 92 93 after yeah, the whole world had come here
1: yeah and and they they had a lot to do with it marco collins and uh, yeah and all the folks that were over there at the time uh they they did their share of, of uh, playing new music for sure
0: suddenly we had an arch competitor but weren't we part of the same company i can't recall no we weren't yeah, the same we, company until 1997
2: no, no. Yeah, that's, you know, when, well, that's when Entercom that bought the stations. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. We were we were I oh, we were nationwide yeah. before that. Yes, but so you, but, we, but I will I will say this: um, Grunge happened because of KISW. The end happened because of Grunge. It was
1: opportunistic,
0: absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I'll go with Kathy is responsible for everything because she's going to be our special guest.
1: <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, Kathy will probably tell you that Damon Stewart is as responsible as she is or more so because damon was the one out there in the clubs at midnight finding these bands and you know he was the new
2: music guy yeah Yeah. the new
1: music the nirvana and everything didn't start in drive time on a major label it started on cassette tapes with our new music guru on kisw on sunday nights Mm. that's right i remember that
2: did i I I, I, I remember i remember damon stewart interviewing uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers at the station on a Sunday afternoon because nobody else wanted to give them the time of day. And the only thing the band was wearing were socks. And they weren't wearing them on their feet. I swear. <laughs> I walked in the production room B to do our, our weekly comedy syndication that we were doing at the time. I went in to dub off some tapes, and there was Damon with these four naked tattooed guys from California. Wearing and they sock. looked at me wearing socks. And I was like, okay, buddy. And it was the Chili Peppers.
0: Now, were there pictures? Of those
2: guys doing that. I mean, this is pre-smartphone. This is even kind of oh pre- yeah, no this internet. Yeah, this was. I mean, they they performed like that at the time. That was that their stick.
1: That was their encore for yeah for a
2: yeah years. yeah, and they they lived up to it,
1: man. When you're trying to make a name for yourself, you take your clothes off. I wonder. If, I know there's other people
0: who've done that. Yeah, you know, we did it. All three of us, right? <laughs> for a few years. So
1: yeah, was so the that Chili funny? Peppers made quite a brand. Uh, that was their deal. So.
0: That is hilarious, Joe, uh, 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 a unique observation, um, which could uh, spruce up politics. I think we've got some younger players involved in politics, <laughs> <That's for sure. laughs>
2: not with the current
0: uh, octogenarian. Yeah,
2: I see. Yeah. I, I don't want to see uh, Diane Feinstein rolled into, into the halls of Congress wearing nothing but a wheelchair.
0: Ugh. By the way, before Kathy comes on, I got to just pass on a tip. I, I, uh, I've been telling everybody I know about this new series, and it's on Netflix. Which is the network? Just about everybody has, right? Yeah, yeah. You got Netflix, Joe, right? You bet. I've uh, had it
1: since day one, or ever
0: since they gave it to me. All right, a long time ago. Oh, you still have the free account we got?
2: Nope, not officially, right, Joe? It's always <laughs> work. It you guys probably worked. do too. I mean, oh, if are... I
0: only knew how to log in.
3: Yeah.
2: Oh.
0: Oh well. I know someone once gave us a Bitcoin, too, and the, and the certificate is at the bottom of the dump somewhere.
2: Five of them. Five Bitcoin? Each.
1: each. Joe, are they in your locker somewhere? No, I, I'm, I am. Someday, when I, I don't have time, I, I think you could say I'm busier than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest. I mean, I've always got, you know, so many things in the air, but I do know... That this guy came in and it was a piece of paper. It wasn't a coin, but it That's had right. a code. The came yeah. each to each of us. At the time five, it was worth about five but at the time it was worth about five bucks, but now right. it would be worth about seventy-five grand, I think. And uh, uh and
0: coin is around twenty grand each, so it'd be worth hundred grand. Right. So we've got yeah. that
1: piece of paper somewhere, uh, or it got tossed out, who knows? But um someday I'm gonna dig through some old boxes and you never know, might find one uh and do they have our names on them
2: well, they have the number the serial number of that particular coin yeah it was a code you were supposed to go on
1: and register i never registered i never did anything i i don't think i tossed it in the garbage though because i'm a pack rat so it's probably somewhere it so and there still are be...
3: three
0: certificates worth five bitcoin somewhere in your archives
1: no there's, there's one one <laughs> Good joke. now Are if you didn't take ours home too i have no idea you you he gave you one he gave spike one he gave me one i don't know you have them you know one. you
0: have them this <laughs> is Where people start fighting over inheritance you know if have, i had
1: them i would have probably done something with them when they were worth a thousand bucks each i If I have them, it's a mystery to me. So you still have like
0: a storage unit with all the old show stuff and no one's ever gone through, right?
1: I have vinyl, you know, from speaking at KISW, when they abandoned the building, you know, they left us there and they left boxes of records and they got picked over and Kathy Faulkner and all the people who actually knew what, what a record was worth took the bulk of it but they were going to throw hundreds of records in the dumpster. So I've, Mm -hmm. you know, I've had them in storage for a long time. So
0: nobody will ever want vinyl again for anything. Who was this
1: vinyl? So at some point when I, you know, I get broken up and and have enough time on my hands, I need to just see what is in there.
0: All right. I'm looking to see if I sent Kathy the link. Uh, Oh, I might not have sent her the link um uh-oh. that'll
2: slow down her ascension to the show won't it
0: it will hold on let me send her a link you guys talk about yourselves. Friend.
2: okay i i, I look back I, look, I sent it to her i look back on the early 90s in seattle and kisw as the greatest gift i was ever given in my life we were we were literally at the center of the musical universe through no no you know nothing but landing here by blind luck uh-huh. And got to watch all that happen around us. It, was, it, it probably was what, like, being in London in 64, 65 was like, what San Francisco in 67, 68 was like. And here in the in 89, 90, 91, 92 was every, everywhere. Everything was It's a unique right thing.
0: There. You know, when you're in L.A. and the Eagles make it and all these big L.A. and America, and I'm trying to think of, you know, Tom Petty, who was in Laurel Canyon. You expect that because you're in L.A. You're in an right. entertainment capital. Like you're near Hollywood, but when you're in Seattle, where people basically, you know, lock themselves indoors <laughs> nine months out of the year, um, it, it, and and I want to ask Kathy about this too. That's part of how the sound came to be distinct. Uh, is that it was just a different mindset that went into mm-hmm. making the music. Oh, yeah. From the parody of <laughs> Them Beans was our actual that version of that song. Uh, a Bob Spike and Joe twisted tune. Tonight is very special because we have a very special guest on the Bob Spike and Joe show. We have the late Kathy Faulkner, who, is, yeah, who is joining us from Orcas Island.
4: Uh, I'm actually in Seattle today.
0: You're in Seattle. She has studios all over the Pacific Northwest.
4: No, I don't. <laughs> But oh yes, I that, do. I'm sorry. Yes, I do. Yeah. all
2: over. Yeah. Well, you have that's a- the artwork in your satellite studio. It is. Yeah. Look He's at got you. Cool stuff
1: to hang in every room that you ever walks into. I mean, that's 20 you
4: know? years of radio, Spike. They're using yep. all space. <laughs>
0: Can I say the behind the scenes of our visit yesterday a little bit? Totally. Yeah. Okay. at At her home, um, because Kathy does voice work. She does rock and roll stuff. She does like three different kinds of Zoom meetings. So she has three different walls decorated differently. One's for a corporate meeting with people in suits and tops.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's all
4: it's well and, and the describe. Yeah, the backstory is that um, when COVID hit, I hadn't finished my studio, so it was insulated, but it just had the brown paper covering. And in COVID Zoom meetings, that is, you know, it's not even green screen. You can't do anything fancy with it. So I bought a bunch of different vinyl wallpaper. And so we have red brick on one and we have white brick for the corporate wall. And then we, <laughs> and then I put up my plaques and Seattle stuff for being hip now and wow. So,
0: For anybody wondering what Kathy Faulkner has been doing since the heyday of KISW in the 90s when the Seattle music scene exploded, um, she's been one of the most amazing voice talents in the voiceover commercial recording world. You have heard Kathy Faulkner a thousand times and maybe Thank not you for calling. Yes. <laughs> we
4: appreciate your patience. We'll accidentally hang up on you
0: momentarily. So you did that stuff. You, I knew uh, I recognized that voice. Are you, are you part of the phone tree? Yeah. Those- uh, yeah. That's funny. Um, Hey, uh, but that, I I mean, what a, what an amazing career you had entirely apart from radio, uh, doing that and you love it, right?
4: I absolutely love it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely love it.
0: And it was tailor-made for the pandemic.
4: Yes, little did I know. Absolutely, um, I worked out of my studio to begin with, and then once COVID hit, they're like, "Do you have a studio at your house?" As a matter of fact, as no
0: a matter do. of fact, all set. Yeah, it's pretty amazing.
4: <laughs> Which wall would you like?
1: And a all real right. testament, Kathy, to tenacity, hard work, and wanting to learn something. Because I remember when you started with Campy, with Jim Campman as your yeah. mentor. And yeah. It's like I want to get into this voice thing, and you're making demos, and uh i remember and we're going to talk a little about the 90s and stuff but one thing i know about kathy is nobody worked harder because i was there a lot at night working on our show of course her show was at night so she kind of had to be there but she she taught me so much in the nighttime, and then in her free time she learned from campy about this voice thing and i'm like man that sounds like a good deal making money just talking and saying stuff and i did a little but you turned it into a a, a full-time enterprise and a and a big time deal so yeah campy was an amazing
4: that. mentor he he drugged me along to many when we did voice sessions in studios he took me to many studios and many sessions and taught me so much yeah yeah, yeah.
0: taught us I think, all i think yeah. he taught us all in the and yeah. ironically he drugged me to uh, 12-step meetings which was very helpful. <laughs> you learned a lot. <laughs> we'll get you now. Yeah. I see. I love that past tense of dragged. He drugged me. Um, so, uh, so all right, let's 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 go back into the Wayback Machine, way, way back, uh, and just briefly give it, give it, tell, the yes, the legendary story of how Kathy Faulkner joined KISW because she wasn't old enough to get into an R-rated movie, I don't uh-huh. think.
4: No, I started at KISW at the age of 15, started as a fan of KISW a few Mm -hmm. years prior to that and would call in on Steve Slayton's night program and make requests, much like Mike McCready and Chris Novoselic and many of the other local rock icons would call in and try and stump Slayton. Um, But it was a ninth grade English class. I had to interview somebody in media. It's like, well, duh, I'm going to call Steve and ask him if he'd help me with my school assignment. And he was so gracious. He said absolutely, went down to the station, which was on Stewart Street at the time, had a whole bunch, I think I had like 50-something stupid-ass questions that a 15-year-old would ask about radio, thinking it was, you know, the atom bomb going off as far as intellect. But uh, he was patient and gracious with every single question and got an A on the assignment. And I think a few months a few months later, he um, asked if I would come whoops so, oh, sorry no nope, we back. lost you you're for back. a second but you're back <laughs> i'm back yes um,
0: so a few months later
4: a few months later he asked me to come in and answer phones for him so um that's how i got in the door uh actually so, my parents listen, uh, drove child, me and child
2: labor was born <laughs> illegal that. child labor so a few months later he asked his boss <laughs> if he could hire a
0: call screener and they said no we're not giving you any money it, it was for but, free right it was an internship <laughs>
4: It was not for free. I oh. got seven records a week.
0: Oh. A record a day.
4: So, yeah, basically found labor. Oh. But being in high school and getting seven records a week from KISW.
0: Yeah, that's. Hello. Yeah.
4: I didn't have any trouble getting a date to the prom.
0: No, you felt like a billionaire at that point. Totally. Because, yeah. yeah. Records, records were more valuable than money because we exactly. would spend. Exactly. We would spend every penny we had, and we would scrape the couch for extra pennies.
4: Yeah, uh, and I didn't records. have them. I didn't have the money for the records or the concert tickets, and so mm. cheers, Slayton, man! <laughs> you All made right. my so, high school years magic.
0: So, what year is this that you start? Uh,
4: 82
0: Okay, not that we're going to yeah. do the math. We don't have I mean, no no idea yeah. how old you oh, are.
4: Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah.
0: All right. <laughs> so you start eighty-one or eighty-two? Uh, around nineteen eighty-nine, after a schism that separates half of KISW goes over to uh um X X, the X. Uh Mm -hmm. and then that was
4: 87.
0: That was 87. And around 89, um they bring in this out of town morning show that um and I, I remember making a very um clumsy entrance to the station. Uh much like many clumsy things I did at that part of my life. But uh, but we came in, and um, I think it was almost simultaneously that something started happening in Seattle. Do I have that right? Was it 89? Was it 90? When yeah. did you see the seeds of the Seattle music explosion?
4: The the challenge for me, Bob, is that I worked at night, so, and, I, and I was underage. So I didn't really get to go into the clubs, but in, in the mid eighties, it, it was percolating as you would say. 88 okay. is when I really noticed it being much bigger than just, Hey, a local band's got a following. This, this is really real. Okay. And <laughs> yeah. name,
0: drop a few band names from them. Some that made it big, but maybe some that were just part of the developing scene. Uh,
4: in the eighties. Um, well, Slayton and I were working very closely with Queensryche in the eighties, which always gets excluded from the Seattle music scene. So I have to say the eighties belonged to Queensryche and metal church and sanctuary Mm -hmm. and many of the, the metal bands, uh, as the punk grunge rock hybrid Seattle convergence was, was starting to explode. It was a time where there wasn't a lot of original music in the clubs. So the bands were, um, renting VFW halls and hub ballrooms and student union buildings to, to put together shows, and that's kind of part of that family, you know, magic of multiple bands on a on a on a bill. Um, so Nirvana, Soundgarden, Mother Love Bone, um, Green River, Skin Yard. Um, so this is
0: all late '80s, but has not exploded across the country yet.
4: Mm-hmm. No, and and if you talk to. If anybody from New York or L.A. comes in to do this um, biopic on Seattle and try and figure out what the magic sauce in the 80s was, there's one show that always comes up. And I think you guys were, were working at the station at the time, and that was the Rising Star show that we had with Jane's Addiction, with Soundgarden and Mother Love Bone opening. It was in 1989, and it was at the Paramount, and it was undeniable that there is something about to explode in our
0: so we were not underage but we were doing mornings and our long (laughs) long went off at
2: four (laughs) a.m. this is the funniest thing i was there you were there
4: yay i was there part of it i remember
2: i remember my first week in town joe mentioned guru uh, damon stewart Mm -hmm. and i know that he was out there when you were working he was out clubbing and trying to bring you things that were were going to hit um, yep. For My first week in Seattle, Damon said, "You got to come," and I had just come with Bob from the East Coast, and I couldn't have been more East Coast if you shoved a flagpole at my ass. <laughs> Pardon me, Joe. We um, still, I, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was. You're I was a old. little.
0: You still got a touch of the East in <laughs> you.
2: Yeah, I, I was, you know, uh, Springsteen and the Police and blah 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 blah. You know, and Elvis Costello and British '80s and blah blah blah. And Damon said, "Come see my roommate's band," um, and I went down the Central Tavern with him. And his roommate was Lance Bailey, and it was Alice. And I'd Whoa. been here a, i w I'd been here a week.
0: So this is and, August 1989.
2: Yeah. And my, my jaw hit the floor. Yeah. And I, I couldn't believe what I was not just seeing and hearing, but standing in the middle of absorbing. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is this is like nothing I've ever seen in my life. It was yeah. Yeah.
4: 89 to 91 was this absolutely magical time. You know, Mother Lovebone had a their major label deal. And we're about to launch nationally. And Alice had their deal with Columbia and other bands were were getting signed. And it was all starting to to just about launch in 90. And what was it, March of 1990, when the wind was taken out of our sails when we lost Andrew? Yep. My internet sucks. I'm sorry. You know what? You know
0: what? No, when no, that, you're doing good. You know what? When that does that, I reboot this thing called echo cancellation and it fixes it. So I actually figured it work. Really? Yeah. So, uh, all right. So tell me if this is right. Uh, you and I have discussed several things over the last couple of years. Interestingly, because Kathy was on at night and I was on in the morning. We were on in the we morning. We never and saw I, each other. We didn't much. Although mm-hmm. at key important times we did because Kathy became the interim program director in I think 1996 7 somewhere in there mm-hmm. when Entercom bought the station from Nationwide Communications and it was a key moment for the show uh, because we now were sister stations with our former mortal enemies the end and the mountain
4: that was a unique dynamic to learn
0: <laughs> and, and a shifting dynamic and at the time steve young who was our all of our mentor and programmer and really a partner with kathy to uh navigate the explosion of artists in the 90s so so going uh, back again uh to ninety ninety one 91 ish or so steve arrives you're there these these bands are getting signed In my heart, I want to give you guys all the credit for making this happen. I know you get some, but put it into perspective. The end didn't exist yet, right? When did the end actually come on the air?
4: I wish I knew the exact date, but I believe the date that um, the end went on the air was the day that Nevermind came out. Wow. Okay. So Um, do you think that was a- Google it. Okay, what?
0: Well, well, someone will Google it. <laughs> David, could you Google that and put a scroll across the bottom?
4: But, but the big thing was like Nirvana, they adopted as their band. And, and there were many aspects of the Seattle music scene that was a different musical style than KISW is or was known for. So they had their lane, we had our lane. But when it came to Seattle, you know,
0: It all crossed over. It Most all crossed of it. over, yeah. yeah so. so so all right, so I'm trying to understand. So it's the late eighties, these bands are getting mm-hmm. signed. Does that mean the record companies were doing their job and the A and R guys spotted what was happening in Seattle before? um radio stations started adding it or did, did i would it take
4: i would like to say yes there's some there's some amazing talents in a and r and and our guru uh was AR for for epic as well um there were many ears in seattle and there, there were, were many ears. good yeah. there were many good ears in seattle so i would like to say that the intentions were good but i but i think it's also safe to say that many of the labels that signed these artists early on didn't know what they had and the rest of the country Didn't know what was coming. Okay. Um, You know, you take any trend, whether it's a viral TikTok video or a band in the 80s, it to get across the country at that time could take two to five years yeah to, and to catch and lives. and the first, we didn't have the internet
0: <laughs> and the first few create momentum that that yes. uh, create that everybody else is able to draft and so like when it comes to streaming tv you had the sopranos you had orange is the new black you had house of cards and all of a sudden all of these investors say we've got to make incredible tv well back yep. then this sort of thing used to happen with music because you yep. had as you said ears and mm-hmm. ah, man, George Martin wrote a book. I think it was called All You Need Is Ears. Um, <laughs> and and these days they're artificial ears. It's all artificial intelligence, it's all algorithms. It's all research trying to play the safest thing or the thing you're most likely to like, mm-hmm. which is tell me if you believe this. Not the same Mm-mm. as a curator, a great music director, a great program director or mm-hmm. even a great record a and guy or Spike going out to a club and experiencing Alice in and change and and chains, and then you become <laughs> an evangelist for the record. Would yeah. you, would you say that? Totally. Yeah, I okay. would
4: absolutely agree. I, and, and Seattle is one of the last regional, um, musical phenomenons to take place. In fact, as far as a regional organic global f- paradigm shift or major yeah. change in how we look at music, um, there hasn't been that kind of a of an event since Seattle.
1: No. And uh, that I don't think cuz yeah. Go because ahead, of me. the internet it happens now online
0: so everybody's mm-hmm. so connected. Yeah, but it happens Gangnam style now. It happens with one hit yeah. wonders of pop music that yeah. that nobody is evangelizing that it, it it goes by these algorithms everybody loves it and then the artist is broke a year later. But that
4: is happened it? that happened back then before the internet. You know.
1: Yeah. Well, it was. Th- it's great. There, I mean, I mean,
4: we would call them one-hit wonders. For every other, OD oh, yeah. Chains
1: yeah. and Pearl Jam, and I'm not going to name names. Kathy could name many. Think about all the bands from Seattle that thought they had a deal and thought they were going to be successful, and it didn't work that way.
4: Yeah, I was talking to somebody, and and they asked me when the scene changed, and I said it was when uh, Seattle went, or when the word grunge went from an adjective to a proper noun. Oh. Is when the market changed and when everybody and their dog came here and had to have a Seattle band on their label and you would just hope that they were signing them in, in, in the hopes that they would advocate for them and market them as for the talents that they were. But, but at the same time, it was just filler to say, we got, we have a Seattle band on our roster. Right. We're done.
2: Was, was singles good or bad for the music scene here?
4: I think it was fabulous for the music scene.
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: Um, I Uh, also think, I I think Singles was an amazing time capsule of what Seattle Mm -hmm. was for us in 1990 to 1992. um, With, Mm it, you know, there's some Hollywood stuff, but I think Cameron Crowe did an excellent job. I also think, Mm -hmm. um, oh my gosh, I'm spacing at the name. It's the other, Hype, the documentary Hype. Yeah. It does an excellent job of showing the clear cut component that came into the seattle music scene in fact the metaphor is of clear cutting a forest in the northwest Mm. and it shows how you can love something to death and and Mm -hmm. really make the price too high
1: but we're talking now heading towards 50 years later we're not there yet but we're past 40 it's Jesus. still huge. I teach in a high school and I see a Nirvana no, we're 30, shirt. No, we're 33 years later. Please. Sir. I know. I know. Do you know uh, why,
4: Joe? Do you know
1: why? Why, uh, why, why do I see a Nirvana shirt everywhere? Okay. Or why can't I figure out the time? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: prevagen, well, like, Joe. You need some Prevagen. But yes.
2: Either way, it was a
1: long time ago. And now, students, I have a student who is obsessed with that whole era of music. And all he does is ask me questions about it. And I said, you need to talk to Kathy Faulkner and Damon Stewart. I said, frankly, I was chasing Jerry Garcia around most of those years. I missed a lot of that, which I'm quite proud of too. And there's plenty of kids that want to talk to me about Jerry Garcia and I can answer their questions. But uh, it's amazing that this Seattle thing has and probably will last for a really long time because there's generations
0: now that love this Thousands of years. Uh, and, and so here's another thing that's going on with music and I'd love to get your unique perspective on it as classic rock artists get on in years. Many of them are selling their catalogs to companies oh, yeah. like hypnosis, uh, and other publishing uh, companies that are amassing all of this stuff. Uh, and a lot of people think they're paying way too much money. I, I think they're making a brilliant investment.
4: I think they're making a brilliant investment as well.
0: Okay. And, and I'll let you finish that thought.
4: I I I have so many feelings watching different artists that I've loved over the years watching their descendants fight over an estate. I I think if if I were in Bruce Springsteen's shoes, I would sell my catalog as well and kind of forget that aspect that said um the immortal contribution the musical legacy of a led zeppelin or a elvis presley or a bruce springsteen or for you know a nirvana of vein, sure. nirvana yeah uh, pearl jam and alice and so on and so forth um there is an entire business you know between licensing and music and merchandise all that stuff that I think these licensing companies or these publishing companies are getting these libraries for a song. Yeah. I don't think they're paying enough.
0: Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, uh, I didn't realize this right away. I thought it was like really odd that they're buying this old music from people who are near the sunset of their entire lives, not just their careers. Uh, but then I took my granddaughter's to a Minions movie and the soundtrack of Minions includes Fly Like an Eagle by Steve Miller. Yeah. It includes Instant Karma. It includes all of these classic rock songs. You see, when you're, when you're getting hundreds of millions of dollars to make a movie for seven and nine-year-olds, you want to buy songs that have a track record. It's why there's a Spider-Man 20 movie coming yeah. out at some point. And so this music, uh, and this is when I started to think about it, instead of selling out your music... You're actually putting it with investors who are going to cultivate and curate the catalog maybe for lifetimes to come. I honestly think that um, classical music is what the equivalent of this classic rock is now. that it, it you know, uh, I used to joke that um, a classical station would be the greatest hits of the 1400s, 1500s and 1600s. Mm-hmm. But I think that in it's possible in 500 years, that this music will still have power uh, because it was done in an era of multi-track recording and great sound. So it's not like it's limited, like old black and white movies can never quite be as big. This is state of the art stuff. And nowadays there is mm-hmm. no curation. There are no DJs telling you yeah. how much they love the bands, and there are no you know people fighting to uh, to curate it down to the ones that are worthy of being signed. You can be signed by opening a TikTok account, right? And using an app to make something that sounds okay, mm-hmm. but it's you know,
4: and curating I think is the key word. I think many of these artists are are signing these deals. And there's also a question of where, who owns the master, who has the original recording. Um, I don't know if you guys remember. Several years ago, there was a fire at the Universal Studios, and um, I b- believe, if I'm not mistaken, one of the Nirvana masters was in that building, a Soundgarden a master. A I mean, lot there of was that. a the REM masters. There were a lot of uh, masters under the Universal umbrella that were lost in that fire, and it came out that there wasn't um proper curating or documenting of what actually was in there because you you know what I mean my internet sucks I'm
0: sorry (laughs) I just rebooted it every time (laughs) that happens I do a a reset so (laughs) yes and and that's the thing about the digital age that we live in now is that everything is ones and zeros so another thing about this point in human history that we were I think lucky enough Mm-hmm. To grow up in this time is that the art and um, classic materials that were created in this time butted right up against the digital era, where no tapes are going to get destroyed anymore. No, nothing's going to get erased. Right. which is sad. If you've got naked pictures on the internet, thankfully.
4: Right. right. I was so glad I was in radio in the eighties.
0: Yeah, yeah. Every stupid thing we did, including, well, nude stock wasn't stupid, but every dumb thing we did is before these cameras. So I know. it's, it's before just a, cell phones, it's a fond memory. Uh, but, but now everything is preserved and, and um,
4: yeah, and you also talk musical style. If, if you recall the documentary that um, Dave Grohl did of Sun City with with a studio in California where they recorded Nirvana's Nevermind, um, is also where many of the great 70s records came out of. We have London Bridge in our in our back door, you know, backyard yeah. mm-hmm. here up in Seattle, and they've got, is it never, Neve Board, that, that beautiful... Neve. Yeah, the Neve Board that has that beautiful sound that is synonymous with 70s rock, but also is that flavor that was in many of the releases here um, in the Northwest.
0: A unique thing happened. We talked about this a while back. I should say uh, just a heartfelt thanks to Kathy and Nell, who um, when I had my cancer diagnosis a year ago, they reached out to me and we got to actually sit down and hang out together without us being on opposite sleeping schedules. And you guys were super kind and everything. And we got to talk a little about mm-hmm. some of this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. there's, um, I lost my train of thought. Can you get me your Prevagen, Joe? I need some Prevagen. <laughs> we, we, we were at London bridge in the knee. D- oh, well. okay.
1: Kathy and nails for something after that. Well,
0: so, so <laughs> okay. these recording studios and Seattle has, and this is, I, I heard you on another interview say that you were not fond of the G word, uh, because when people G-word. say Seattle, they associate it with just grunge. But mm-hmm. there's a rich musical legacy, probably going all the way back to Ray Charles here, that includes Jimi Hendrix and Hart, and then other bands that didn't fit the G label, like mm-hmm. Posies or... Uh, who, who else? Well,
4: I mean, I I would start with the bands that I couldn't go see in Astor Park because I was underage. It would be the Range Hood, the Cowboys, the Allies, uh, Rail... Um, boy, Pop Quiz, who, who Oh, knows? yeah, I'm
3: sorry.
4: Yeah, so there was like the whole
0: around a Prevagen uh, for everybody.
4: <laughs> I
0: know, right? <laughs> Our uh, new show maybe, sponsor. Yeah. yeah I researched that still, shit by the way. It doesn't work. It's a, it, there is no medical science behind it. Every time I see the news and they advertise Prevagen, I go it's, it's having um,
4: cue cards and like looking up lists of things.
0: Yes, yes, that's right. It's Google uh, it's for Google. research. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead.
4: But there's, you know, there's grunge comes with a, a specific definition and with that they very rarely do you hear more than the top five. You right. know, you don't hear about Candlebox, you don't hear about Sweetwater, you don't hear about Brad, you don't hear about Sean Smith.
0: Screaming uh, Trees.
4: Screaming Trees, yeah. Oh. And and if the if the list goes past five, and I'm not trying to discredit the five at all, but the breadth and depth that this this uh, community had and still has. Um, you know, it's. I think it just does it a big disservice
2: to just say grunge. Well, it's we keep talking about, you know, how bands get found and how nowadays people, people don't take chances and make safe right. bets. Like Bob said, there's a micro, there's a Spider Man twenty coming out. Right. But there was there was nothing safe about backing uh, Soundgarden or yeah. Alice in Chains or you know when when Andrew passed and we lost Love Bone. Those guys, you know, a lot of bands would give up and quit, and oh well, that was our shot. We lost our guy, but they made Mookie and they found Eddie, and they made Pearl Jam, and they just yeah, would not yeah. would not go away.
4: And the magic of the Temple of the Dog project that gave them right, a vehicle right. for grief and a vehicle for yep. new music yep. collaboration.
2: Or Mad Season with yep, right. you know that that piece of work was a,
0: a oh,
4: masterpiece, brilliant.
0: And to your point, Spike, Dave Grohl lost his guy too.
2: Yeah, and
4: didn't whatever go happened away. to
0: him?
2: I know. I think he's working. I saw him. I saw he was flying planes once. I saw him on TV. Yeah, yeah. you know, and I'm selling I'm waiting Mentos. for
4: my invite to the barbecue. I want uh, to go yeah. to Girls Barbecue.
2: So, Kathy, um,
0: during that time, uh, and I heard some of this in an interview you did with another music director. So, I'm going to just try and get to the uh, the nugget uh, sure. that struck me during that time. Uh, radio stations. And by the way, it wasn't just from Seattle at this point. There were bands like Tea Party. There were bands coming from all over. There were bands like Live. There were bands that had elements of this new sound because it was huge. And um, you were the music director of one of the top stations in the country that was respected for being a curator of this mm-hmm. music. And you worked mm-hmm. with Steve Young and then after he left he, uh, on your own. But... How did you tell us a little bit of the behind the scenes of that process? Like you would have a music meeting, you would have record people mm-hmm. come in. You'd say you had a, a in a typical week. What would you be looking at and how would you decide what was great?
1: Before um, you answer, I have a guess. Oh I want to guess. All right. Joe wants okay. to guess. I think it, I think the way it went was we would play a record. And Steve would say, are they from Seattle? And they'd say no. And he'd get a little disappointed and say, are they from Canada? <laughs> and he'd say, yes. Go,
3: Add that record.
0: Well. <laughs> we did have a Canadian program director. Yes.
3: You're, you're 80% right. You're,
4: you're actually, yeah. I think it's really important to, um, before we get to like the digital age of YouTube and and online and, you know, digital days, KISW had a reputation, a very strong global reputation of breaking bands before I even entered the building. Mm -hmm. Slayton himself is credited for playing ACDC because they didn't have a deal in the US. He found them at an import bin at a Fred Meyer Music Market. Uh, He was one of the first to play Metallica. Uh, We broke Queensryche. there is a legacy that started in the 70s that i inherited when i sat in steve slayton's music director seat um and i i looked and found that the day that i took the job was on the day that nevermind came wow. out um i was assistant music director for three years before that but i took the job when nevermind came out so a lot of okay new music
2: but- director what do you have how about nevermind <laughs> all right <laughs> no, you keep the job
4: So, so the the so I think that's important to note. Yeah, amen. You know, uh, Seattle, the Seattle music scene also gave this. What's going on there? Who are the stations there that we need to watch? And there was a service called I think at the time it was called BDS that would some poor intern was getting paid. $2 $2 an hour to monitor radio stations live and write down what was being played. I would get many phone calls at night going, what was that song that you guys played? I don't
0: know
3: oh, what its pre
0: is. Pre-computers. Would,
4: pre-computers. Child right? labor. They, she was 13,
0: right. this girl who wrote know, down these songs.
2: Right? Yeah, got so, paid in albums.
4: <laughs> so other radio stations were watching when we started playing something, it's like, what's KISW doing? And if we played it enough or long enough, we could get 25, 30, 50 radio stations just to start playing it, just because we did.
3: Yeah. And I was so, a listener
1: at that time and a kid like Kathy. And I remember the only place you could get the new Queensryche EP when they came out was a record store in kind of Bellevue, Redmond in between. Yep. That's the only place in the world you could go buy this four out song EP. The only place you could get uh, AC/DC "Let There Be Rock" was at Tower Records in the import section, and the only reason I even knew it existed was from Steve Slayton. But yep. you had to go buy the Australian version, and and yep. that, KISW is where I heard all this stuff first. And, uh, we all have new.
0: we all have people who impressed us and that we mentored off of, and it is so cool to hear the Steve Slayton part of the story from you because I vaguely recall hearing about him in ACDC. And I think that's a little bit lost to history. Yeah, Um, I have
4: a a vinyl recording. One of the first things that I got to do um, as his intern is do research on ACDC um, because he and Bo Phillips who was the program director at the time got to go down to Los Angeles and interview ACDC. And it was put on a vinyl record and sent out to all the radio stations in the United States. And, and, and I'm like, you know, I can't stump you on the radio. I can't stump Slayton. So I don't know why you need me to research this band that you're breaking, but I feel really honored. I do
0: think sometimes he was whispered the answers. I'm just saying, I I don't want to, let's not, let's not, let's not go
4: there. No, (laughs) He's that college of rock and roll knowledge. A legend. Absolutely. Nobody can stump Slayton. So, So the, so the music meeting process is, is every label um for the most part had a rep in seattle that is also a lost art form and on a particular day they would come in and and it was almost like you know the singing you know bow tie salesman ready to tap dance in front of you to tell you how wonderful this record was and i was getting worked everything um from you know hey slash is on the prince signal single you need to play prince now on kisw to you know Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson have a rockin' song that it, it rocks, so you need to play it. Okay, that's debatable, but okay. Well, thank you. Sure, thank and you. And so, and so at the end of the week, um, I would have thirty projects that were high priority, and we would maybe add one. Wow. KISW notoriously from day one has been known to go very deep musically into artists where we would rather play another song off of a record than to play a bunch of little dabblings with with a bunch of different artists. So we would rather play eight songs off the Alice in Chains faceless lift record, than you know, just one song and, you know, pound it to death. So. Did you um, think
0: that? Did you think, by the way, at the time because we were doing it, that you were um, that you had discovered a fantastic—and I hate to use this word; it's almost like a dirty word—but a, a brand. You had discovered a fantastic artist, and it was better to go deep on that artist than have a bunch of different artists. Did you think about the marketing of it, or was it just that's no, where the problems led you? I think uh, between 1990
4: and 1992, I was a proud big sister and. You know, these are these are bands from the area and they're Mm. getting a shot and anything that we could do to help them. Seattle uh, KISW had always been known to embrace local music, you know, people debate on how much corporate radio can or cannot, you know, with a specialty show on the weekend. But uh, we always would play local music, you know, evenings, we would take a lot more chances and, and we would support local artists on national tours that were coming through. Like we so were thinking Light about the for zebra.
0: Yeah, you were thinking about the business. It was about friends and family yeah. who are artists. Okay.
4: Then in the later time um, within the music meeting aspect, um, it would t- it would take a record like, say, for example, um, Hunger Strike by Temple of the Dog as an example, because I think this was the example on the podcast you listened to. Yep. Yep. We played the record when it came out before the sound had exploded globally. And then a year and a half later, A&M re-released the record because Pearl Jam had gone platinum. And they wanted us to play this new single called Hunger Strike. And we had already played it for a year and a half. So uh-huh. while I have to play it so that other radio stations around the country will see that it's on my playlist, because if it's from Seattle and we're not playing it, that's a problem also. Mm. But I also have been playing it for a year and a half for our local audience. And they're like, you know, there's more than that song on the record. <laughs> so we would play push and forward back or we would play all night thing, or, you know, there would be. Um, we would definitely find a way to package it so that the rest of the country saw we were playing what the label wanted us to play. Right. right. You had to play ball. Yeah. Yeah. But on the same, and, and it, it, I felt it served the bands as well as us. Mm. Oh yeah. You know, because it gave them the national endorsement, if you will. So did you ever
0: really piss off a record label by refusing to play something? And uh, were you ever wrong, or was or pick the one (laughs) that
1: you were right? What did you pass on? What did you say? Nah, we're not going to answer. That's a great question.
4: Oh God, you got! I had fights. I had fights. I swore a lot. I stood up and down. This little girl in radio said, "Hell no, we will not play whole." Oh,
3: <laughs>
0: great example, by the way. Perfect.
4: And I, you've got the
0: right audience uh, for not playing a
4: here. Oh, I caught <laughs> so much crap nationally from mm. the management to the label. And how could you not? And I'm like, I can tell you exactly why not. And this is why not. So thank you. And Good day, sir. We'll put,
1: we'll put the screaming Cheetah Wheelies in the active, hot rotation, but we're not playing a hole. There you go. Oh,
0: you were right about that one. There's no, is- There's no enduring hole tracks that are classic
3: anywhere.
4: Well, they they had their place. I didn't believe, it. and we can make personal comments about members of the band, and that's not where I was going. It. I mentioned earlier that The End had their lane. And there were bands that fit on the end that I didn't believe fit on KISW. And that
0: would, and that, a couple of those songs
1: fit. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
4: And and that entire album um in and of itself was brilliant. Didn't think it belonged here. It's a
1: different kind of so, edgy. It was a different kind I drew sound. that line. Yeah. No. Yeah. It was and, alternative. Yeah. KISW was not by nature alternative, and the end was. As, you yeah. know, it all kind of melded together and right. 30, 30 years later. Um, all the, all the stations are playing hunger strike several times a week and they're, you know, they're, yeah. they're playing all and that stuff. At
4: the time I was fighting over whole, we were fighting over everything. If I started playing something, the end would fight. I mean, before we were kind brethren, um, <laughs> we were fighting tooth and nail for everything, which to me is just so sophomoric and the business of radio in a competitive radio market. However, for the local music scene, I think it did a huge disservice and it was so freaking juvenile. <laughs> and if I could go back and do anything differently, I I tried I tried to go high when they were going low. And there were some times where we just we had to play hardball and and the bands were the commodity. And it was uh, uh yeah. Right. Not a fun we, time. We
1: were all juveniles for the most part. So I guess yeah, that we makes sense. It was young yeah. younger you know, younger days.
0: Uh, all right I'm gonna press my luck with one other angle on this type of question. This is like that in the artist studio kind of interview where, you know, what's the one thing? What's this? What's that? Um, What's if you had to pick one either track or band that you championed that was an uphill climb that turned out to be hugely successful that you feel? I know you're not going to take credit because you're not that type of person, but but that you feel personally glad that you championed. Take your time. (laughs) (laughs)
4: why do i have to pick one i would have this fight with my son all the time oh yeah you have five
0: all right pick five yeah Yeah. okay
4: um i treasure every moment i got to work with pearl pearl jam (laughs) i treasure every moment i got to work with alice and chains and 30 35 years later or whatever the time is joe um it it sounds like a no-brainer but it wasn't easy at the time at the time yeah Um, it it was a very different beast and a lot of people didn't understand the sound so I spent a lot of time advocating there were two uh, two bands that I worked with that didn't make the top five I loved working with grunt truck I truly truly enjoyed working with them Um, I truly enjoyed working with Second Coming I truly loved working with Sweetwater and Candlebox and my personal favorite was um, Brad uh, and Mad Season, like the side projects, mm-hmm. uh, all the collaborations when people would get together and do this one off piece of musical magic. I loved it. I, I I loved saying, yeah, yeah, they work together. We have this whole other album. No, I know it doesn't make sense. No, it's not a band, but we have this one off project. It's fabulous.
1: And going back to the Canadian thing, I know this isn't Seattle, but mm-hmm. if it weren't for you and Steve, I would have never heard of the Tea Party and most of America would not have either. Um yeah, I would I have the, probably never heard you got it right behind it, you. Yeah. yeah. I would have never heard of the tragically hip. Now they are in Canada, they are the, you know, as, as big as Canadian Bacon, or what I guess Canadian Bacon is not that big in Canada. Maybe Maple Syrup there's bigger.
0: bigger. Canadian Bacon is actually bigger here. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah. But but they're, I mean, they're the biggest band in Canada, but they never really crossed the border except to KISW. And tragically, yeah. I think is one of the greatest rock and roll bands ever of any generation ever and and that's so- not
4: exclusive to us i mean i i appreciate the compliments and and i know if steve were here we miss we miss him daily um uh he he would be flattered as well but what we would tell you is in the day of analog radio vancouver fans listened to kisw just as passionately as seattle fans did so we were the home for rush and there were bands that worked in seattle because we were a quote-unquote a border town detroit also had a lot of similarities where they would have canadian artists that would work there very well like here but we remember seeing well in-
1: rush with max webster at the arena and everybody was like who's rush who's max webster yeah these oh, are canadian yeah. bands and trust oh. me they're good and they were obviously yeah. great and ufo was on that bill too but rush wasn't touring the u.s they just happened to pop down to seattle all right. So All
3: right.
0: a lot, a lot of water under the bridge. A lot of time has gone by. Uh, I learned a few things tonight. I learned that uh, Steve, I learned Steve Slayton's uh, heritage, which I already knew, but I, I learned another uh, depth part of it. And I learned that Spike, when he first got to Seattle, used to stay out till two in the morning watching Alice in Chains. And, that, and, and know, still he... could be so how yeah, you do and that? still, it was still funny. So I don't give a shit because um, the
2: coffee here was not like anything I had ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. I was uh, raised yeah. on Maxwell Health and got here to <laughs> surreal espresso, <laughs> and life was different. Speaking, this thing, of, this thing goes to eleven.
0: Speaking of surreal espresso, I don't know if we're going to get anything good and juicy out of him because he's a high school teacher now and a mentor to future uh, radio stars, media stars, because media is media. Um, Joe, what? What story back from that era can you tell us? Did you go out late at night and have, you know, um, awesome experience? Did you get to see something you can share with us?
1: Well, yeah, I saw and heard a lot, but like I mentioned, my focus really was when I got vacation, I went to San Francisco. I saw every Grateful Dead New Year's show in the eighties and nineties, and that was my deal. But, I, 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 Spike was smart to take in as much as he did because like Damon would invite me to shows. And I I remember going to the central and with Damon and I'm going, I am so excited to see, for you to see little women. They are the greatest band. They were a band called little women. I thought they were great. He goes, well, actually I'm here. To see the opener widespread panic. I'm checking them out. Maybe we'll sign them. Well, widespread panic is still packing stadiums today. <laughs> okay. I mean, they're, yeah, yeah, they've yeah, been yeah. touring forever, but I, I remember that show. I remember Nicole Vandenberg bringing me out into her car and said, you need to hear this. She puts in a cassette and it's Mookie Blaylock and she's banging her head. And I'm like, yeah, okay. That sounds pretty good to me. But, you know, I wasn't, you didn't seem, you know, I feel like it all was a little bit over my head. I mean, at the time, okay, the yeah. when they played the off ramp, I, I'm not sure if that was their first show or not. You were there, Bob. It was one. Of I did
0: go to the off ramp uh, early shows. It's an interesting story because it was early in the evening I believe Uh, it was not late at night and it was a special, they were packing Pearl jam into this bar that what fit 80 to a hundred people comfortably. Maybe nobody
2: was comfortable in that room.
0: It was not one. No. And I remember thinking, well, I'm a morning guy, but I could stay up for this, you know, to like 630 or whenever it started. I don't remember. maybe it was eight o'clock, but, um, and I actually asked, can I get in? And back in those days, if you like today, if you're in radio and you want to get into something exclusive, not as easy. Uh, but back in those days, you worked at KSW and you wanted to get in and there were only going to be 80 or 100. I think they fit 300 people in that day. Um, but I I got in and I'm pressed up against the stage because it was really just this long corridor. And um, Eddie Van Halen came out, and I guess he was or, on or the, better.
3: Did I say yeah. Eddie Van Halen?
0: I meant Eddie Vedder. Yeah. Eddie Van <laughs> Vedder.
3: That's that hilarious. Really I don't remember Joe, <laughs> that happening. <laughs> pass me the
0: Prevagen, Joe. Um, that's all right. I love these senior moments. So uh, Eddie Vedder came out, and like you, Joe, to me, it was all a little surreal. Uh, because I was mornings, I, I didn't feel so much a part of it. I, I would historically later see it uh, bigger than I did then. But Eddie, Eddie Vetter came out, and he had that week he was on the cover of Time magazine. And um, if if I, my memory serves me correctly. And he walked out. I can't remember if he had a picture, if he had the Time magazine cover or not. But he came out and he said... I wipe my ass with the cover of Time magazine. Does anybody remember hearing him say that?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I know. And we I put th- it in a song lyric years uh, later. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, so.
4: Yeah. The the off ramp show you're referring to was probably a surprise show when they were trying material for verses. It was bef- it was after the Mookie Blaylock days. Okay. Because mm-hmm. the Time magazine came out on the eve of the release of verses, and both Kurt and Eddie know. They did not want to be on the cover, and Time chose Eddie anyway.
0: Meanwhile, meanwhile, Donald Trump is printing up phony covers of Time magazine with him on the cover. <laughs> like it is, How cool is it to say, I don't want to be on the cover of Time magazine? Well, I was not a Seattleite yet. I was a newcomer from out of town, and I thought this guy, Eddie Vedder, was being rude. I actually thought, I, I didn't think, oh, how cool that is. I thought, you know, you're biting the hand that feeds you, and that's not good. And so later, it may have been a year or two later, there was a show down on the waterfront, and I believe it was like an MTV Unplugged or mm-hmm. something, and it was supposed to be Nirvana and Pearl Jam.
4: In and Cypress Hill.
0: And yes. I was in that Right, too. right. Yeah. right. right. Okay. I, was I was there that. too. And Pearl Jam canceled while we were waiting, and, and it was another situation where because I work at KISW, I got tickets to see this. It's a big deal. It's going to be on MTV. Pearl Jam, Eddie Vetter, this guy who I was starting to think of was a bit irresponsible. <laughs> he cancels. No Pearl Jam. I'm a little pissed off. And we go in, and I'm uh, and Nirvana plays a set. I believe that was right when In Utero came out.
2: Yeah, they had that angel or that uh, mannequin yeah. on stage.
0: Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm just going to embarrass myself, self-deprecate a little bit, and I'd say, I remember thinking to myself, this Eddie Vedder is a flash of the pan, but this Kurt Cobain, he did a great job tonight. I think he's got a long future ahead of us. What a responsible <laughs> young man. Yes, what a responsible young man. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: that show, I agree. Though I was going there to see Pearl Jam, and the word got Me out too. as we're yeah. standing in line, and I got—and that's the only time I saw Nirvana e- ever—and it was great. And I came out of there a much bigger Nirvana fan than I walked in. I thought that was one heck of a heck of a rock show. And it was, uh, I, it was amazing. I really enjoyed that,
0: Kathy. Did you ever get into the recording studio to watch one of these bands track anything?
4: Yeah, it's kind of funny that you asked that question. One of my biggest memories was when um, Pearl Jam was finishing 10 and I would get off the air at two in the morning and the band would still be recording. And all I remember, this is, I mean, this is 30 years. So all I remember is I would Selective sit on,
0: memory is good at, at, at this point. Yeah. yeah this that, is
4: just, it's one of my treasured memories is, is I would sit on the couch and it was two in the morning and I was exhausted. Because I went to college too during the day, and then I did my air shift. So I'd sit down. I'm like, okay, they're listening to the tracks and they're playing it over and over. Okay, I'll lean. Okay, I'll lean. Oh no! And I and I would fall asleep <laughs> and I would fall asleep on the couch and I would wake up when they would leave. And so when I heard the record, it's like, God, that sounds so familiar.
1: You were dreaming that. <laughs> I was like, was I was
4: like dreaming that, or did that really happen? Was I there? So I I yeah. slept through a lot of the recording process. But in hindsight, I'm so glad I was there. But yeah. I slept through most was of that, it.
0: Was that London Bridge?
4: Uh London Bridge, yeah. Yeah, where ten was yeah. recorded.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, wow. I did
4: a tour I did a tour of the place recently <laughs> to I said, oh, is this the couch? Did I sleep on this couch? <laughs> oh, please, God, tell me you got
0: a new couch. Yeah, or Scott's <laughs> guarded it anyway. Yeah. I know,
4: right? <laughs>
0: That's so funny. Wow. Yeah, and, and Kathy would, for those of you who remember Live at Bob's Garage, Kathy would arrange for bands to come and do one, two, or three song sets uh, for the morning show. And uh, some of the some of the names she mentioned, like Second Coming, um, came out and recorded uh but really, Queensryke
4: did a great one
0: Queensryche. Oh Queensryche was
4: Queensryche.
1: Awesome. Queens of the Stone Age I mean Yeah yep. really Queens of the
4: Stone Age By the way big.
0: they recorded outside Queensryke because they wanted a live feel and so instead of being in the basement which was really my studio we called it Bob's garage because it started in a garage but it ended up being a basement studio Anyway they wanted to play outside and if you listen to that silent lucidity track, you can hear the birds singing. Yeah, these were not sound effects,
4: Mm-mm. real birds. And, and still to this day, Bob, one of my favorite tracks to come out of Bob's garage was Melvin's version of Revol- Revolve. Oh, that yeah, that is. Are you ready, Ben? Ready. Yeah. ready. 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 <laughs> ready.
0: All that stuff, by the way, is at bobrivers.com. Bob and, and we don't get a nickel for any of it. But if you want to hear uh, some oh, of those, magical
1: moment. And there's at least one radio station you can still hear that. It's a high school station. We play that Melvin's track. Uh, do you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot, of, That's funny. a lot of that stuff lives on at KMIH. We play something from that. Seattle every hour, and we always, uh, or from the Northwest. But uh, some of that best Bob's Garage stuff is, is part of what we play. I, and but, a couple other things I will say, if you want quick memories, the most rock star moment ever, maybe. And we had the KISW flies reunion a few weeks ago, which was just brought back a flood of memories. But I remember after a flies game going to Spike and Rockfish's apartment and it was oh most of the guys from Allison Chains were there. I don't remember who I was there, but somebody got the idea that jumping off the balcony in the pool was the thing to do. Uh, was that you? <laughs> I, that was like, okay. Somebody's gonna die here, and it wasn't gonna be me. I sure wasn't doing it, but I was trying to kind of discourage it. But that's when I realized, okay, this is this is a power uh, beyond reason. These these people are, are are doing something different here.
2: And then and somebody week... got
4: video of some of that. They're...
2: Yeah, um, we we, you know, we got we we Rockfish and I lived in this third floor apartment with a built-in pool below, and he and I have been jumping off that deck for a whole summer. And we did the KSW flies, played the fly swatters, which we did annually. And coming back to the apartment that day, the guys from Alice, guys from uh, Soundgarden were there. Kim was there. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Sean was there. Uh, um, My sister's Machine, Metal Church. Sweetwater Um, uh, was there. Sweetwater was there. What was Tommy Gunn's band? Was that um, War War Gin? War War Babies. Oh, War Babies. We love that Um, band. So these guys were all jumping off the third floor balcony into the pool. And somebody had a with those old camp quarters. Mm-hmm. And we got a picture of Lane putting on Rockfish's football helmet from his junior high football team and jumping off the third floor deck into the pool. And I got to give that video to his mom after we lost oh, Lane at God. a tribute show over there on, uh, on Capitol oh, Hill. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, that, that was some great stuff. But, and, and let me close. We talked about memories. I, I remember the, the 10 release party. And I bring the, was it Rock Candy? Uh,
4: the 10 release party was at Club Oz, which was- Oz, the, Oz right, which right. Was, which was across the street from the Mural Amphitheater because they played at the Mural right. Amphitheater and then crossed right. the street over. And there. our African oh.
0: friend, American friend, Rick the Bouncer worked at Club Oz uh, as a bouncer. Uh, right. That's how we met him. Okay.
2: But but the reason I bring it up is because Katie talked about, uh, Kathy talked about uh, being a big sister to these bands and seeing the pride you had at that party for those guys and the love you have for those guys, and not just those guys, but every from Queens, right to Alice, to you name it, everybody. You <laughs> you cared and you fought for those guys. And in hindsight, it was like you had the world handed to you. You you handed the world to Seattle. And I and I mean that with all my heart, you fought every, tooth and nail for those guys and you led the charge that took that shit around the world. All right. While we're so. pouring
0: maple syrup and butter on her, I'm <laughs> going to do <laughs> i love you man yeah I'm, you're right spike i'm gonna do uh, the other half of this the behind the scenes which kathy might dispute some of my interpretation of this but when intercom bought kisw and steve young headed to new york where he almost briefly was at uh, wnew and mm-hmm. uh, I, think, I believe he went back into consulting it came back did he come mm-hmm. back to seattle yeah mm-hmm. uh anyway um for a period there, we had only an acting program director, who was Kathy. Interim. College. Interim. I hate the word interim, <laughs> I but do. every great job I got started as interim. So, right. um, so um, here we now were part of a group of radio stations, and we knew the Bob Spike and Joe chemistry was there. Um, we knew that to be a really successful morning show, you couldn't play eight records an hour. You had to you know morph towards, uh, if not all the way to talk, but talk morning shows that were funny were very successful. And I had asked Steve Young, could I do this for years?" And he said, no, it wouldn't fit the needs of the radio station because we're in a three-way battle with these other music stations. One was AAA, one was uh, Alternative, and then we're the rock lane. And if we surrender the music position in the morning, they could make some music adjustments. And And he was right. He was totally right. Yeah, I I know. Um, But when he left, and, and... like all of a sudden he said to me as he was leaving, you're going to get to do that talk show thing now. Mm-hmm. Like he literally was saying the situation has changed in the market. We're sister stations. So losing a few people to this station while you grow this big brand actually makes more marketing, marketing sense mm-hmm. than being direct competitors. So, but it was Kathy that he left in charge and, it was Kathy that I remember coming up to me and I remember, and we didn't see each other much because of, there are different opposite parts of the, of the time uh, clock. You each got a
2: seven o'clock. You got
0: the first and she got the second. I got the first seven o'clock. She got the evening seven o'clock. But I remember talking to her about, I think we're going to talk more and play less music. And Kathy would say to me, you tell me how many songs you want to put in there and we'll put them in there. And, uh, and I, we went from like, I don't know, eight to six and I remember up was 4 or
4: with a four. couple extras.
0: Yeah, and it was 4 and I was I kept thinking we're going to get busted, we're going to be thrown off the air, we're going to have a horrible <sighs> rating uh, period. Mm-hmm. Kathy has since reminded me that it did depend on the ratings and the ratings stayed good. Mm-hmm. So we were given that rope, but she was the boss technically. <laughs>
4: Well, and I guess my only request to you Bob was occasionally I'll have to ask you a few uncomfortable things to do during your show. Please understand there's a bigger picture at play and mm-hmm. I am interim. So if I ask, please. Ah,
0: I don't remember anything uncomfortable. I remember Go feeling ahead. I remember feeling like you had oh. our back, but you have mm-hmm. told me you were implementing what was good strategy. You, were, you know, Yeah, like yeah.
4: you I had a conversation with with Steve Young um he did not have part of the reason we knew the station was up for sale is that usually his contract took 30 seconds to renew and we were on three weeks and so we knew it was coming so we started doing different strategies of you know what if if this company purchases us or that this company purchases us you know where are we headed and we already knew that the fall was going to be one of the best ratings books because coming off of summer kisw always does well because we have this hydroplane that blows up and everybody <laughs> listens to us when our hydroplane blows up, but the fall book was going to be one of the best we had in like a decade. And so we knew it was, it was in momentum. There was you, we could all stop and it would be things would still be good. I so, remember uh, doing
1: a, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was no, going to no. say, I remember so doing So she's
0: a, describing why we got a little bit of leash. Well, <laughs> and, and and run yeah,
1: well, it was the uncomfortable part I heard. And I do remember, uh, doing some things with Ronald McDonald, I felt were a little uncomfortable, but I didn't ever question that. I did wonder, you know, why am I out with this clown all over the place? But, and that was about that time, you know, so mm-hmm. I yeah. think to get a little leash, you gotta, you know, you gotta pay a few bills too.
3: Well, yeah. and,
0: and it wasn't all support because, um, management for the new company in, in another building across town wasn't really hip to much of this. And there was this guy, G. Michael Donovan, who ran the mountain is a pleasant enough guy, but we were former enemies and he had no idea that we were dropping music or so he said. And what had happened is we'd gotten down to two songs and then we were doing hours with no songs. And um, and I was this was maybe a little later, six months, a year later. And I was sweating when the ratings would come out. Are Bob Spike and Joe funny enough to be to hold the audience without the records that will start, you know, at 10 Mm a.m. when Wilkie comes on? And um, I remember that I got hauled into the office with Clark Ryan, our program director. Yeah. And G. Michael Donovan was interrogating us about you know why we needed so many people on the morning show. He wanted the can Joe. Yeah. And I said, well, it's an entertainment morning show. He goes, you're playing records. You don't need five people to play records. And I, <laughs> I, I remember looking, I remember I'm looking scared. at him and going, he doesn't know we're not playing records. And um, <laughs> and so I actually told him, which made. Clark Ryan, uncomfortable. Yep. Because
2: <laughs> we were all. Clark hadn't new. told him either. And I know yeah. we were following
0: the master plan of doing great things, but we didn't have support all the way up to Philadelphia. We didn't have any support in Philadelphia. So, anyway, he threatened to fire Joe. It's a long story, which I've told a couple of times, but the cool part of it was that right about the time they were talking about firing Joe, and I actually did, this is, I'll take. I'll, I'll virtue signal here. I said, if you want to fire someone, fire me. I'm not losing Joe. Uh, I just knew that he and Spike were the magic trio. And uh, and so uh, he said, well, I'll have to think about it. I have to talk to my boss, which was David Field. And that Friday, the ratings came out. And for the first time ever, I think we were, you know, number one or two, 2554. It you was- were
4: number one.
0: Yeah, well, and we did get to for a number one for a long time. So the ratings were so good that um, you know they had offered me to like take a pay cut or something, and uh, I said, well, let me let me think about it, and I, I'll talk to my boss, which is my wife Lisa. <laughs> and and a week after the ratings, Clark, did you think about that proposal to modify the budget so that we could keep Joe? I said I did, and I I don't really want to do it. I said so, ask him if he wants to fire me. And I never heard another thing. And, and that was that's how close our show came to sort of not happening. Just, just because of that, you know, these stations were all merging together. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yes, I fondly remember you, Kathy, as being our champion. And you remember yourself as just doing the best job you can, you know, doing the
4: right thing. A lot thing. of it was, oh... Oh, you need that information of what they played? Oh, I'll get that to you. In yeah,
3: time. get that to you later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
4: <laughs> Somehow that just I'll, didn't happen. I'll get back to you.
1: <laughs> and uh, the part, the yeah. part I remember is after Bob basically put his neck out on the line for me and, and my job was saved, about a month later, I go to Clark and say, I'm going to have to quit if I don't get a raise because I'm going to be a dad and uh, I got to go sell real estate. So poor Clark. He, he couldn't afford to <laughs> keep me. And now he's going to have to pay to go to the boss and say, we got to give this kid a $20,000 raise or he's going to leave. And then he did that too. And he got yeah. it figured out. So.
0: Once, once you have the ratings and it's predictable uh, and you've done the kind of job that everyone on this Brady Bunch window that we're looking at right now has mm-hmm. done, you know, you, uh, you would, you would get the respect. You didn't get the respect, respect. until you earned it. I think. Um, Yeah. And
4: I think the thing that's different back then that doesn't happen in mergers and acquisitions nowadays is there was a three to six month period before they made those decisions where they got to know us. They did. I, I don't know how much they understood about us. I was defending songs that we were playing like, why are we playing soul stripper by acdc it's like well there's this story about ACDC. so it's like it's like let me get tell you why we're doing it and why the northwest is different than philadelphia or why Mm -hmm. you know why austin has a different music scene than seattle and and we went through every song list nowadays you don't have that get acquainted time
0: no and and nowadays we are all borg programmed from I, I, are right. we the, like without trashing anybody now? Cause we're not that type of person, but what, what is it like now? Well, you are that type of person, so <laughs> right. but what, look, it's, it's way different now because there's lots of debt and there's tons of competition from the internet. So radio has to, in some ways be even safer than ever before uh, in order to survive. Uh, but, uh, but what's the music scene? Is there a music scene and granted, we're older now, so we're not in that age, you know, that that teens to young thirties age where the greatest music of your life is made. Kathy, what are your thoughts about? Oh music God, today? Hope. did you
4: notice I, know. I had my head down? That you were
0: like, <laughs> please don't come to me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't. You don't have to be a big sweeping. You know, just just a few thoughts. Like even if you say, do you have? favorite bands that are making it now that are that we should all Google and YouTube or, um, what does it look like to you now?
4: I I think, I think the biggest challenge for radio is that it lost its relevancy years ago and the age group that you were talking about when we were young and in the nineties developing a music scene in Seattle, we were younger and we were passionate about radio and, and going to clubs, the audience is in a different place. They're on their PS5, they're on their Xbox. And so if you wanna reach them musically, you go where they are. Or if you are a uh, radio company that bean counters are wondering how to um, flush out the budget, make it relevant. And make make it relevant so that they'll come back.
0: So back to this young person, and you—I I love how you went towards gamers um, because that's, there's a lot of innovation in gamers. In fact, I think the the role of DJ is now a guy or or, or some women as well, but letting you watch them master a video game—that's a disc jockey. That's someone in a studio entertaining you on mm-hmm. Twitch, and yeah, and if someone—and I run into people, I teach. Some podcasting classes at a nonprofit. And I run into 19, 20, 25 year olds who, like, they just wish they could be DJs. I want to do a show on YouTube where I expose new music and talk about the ones that are really good. Mm-hmm. But you can't because the music licensing, you'll be flagged for copyright right. infringement. So there is no farm club for curators like you were um, mm-hmm. to, um, you know, when they're in their And teens. it's
4: snippets, it's yeah. snippets. You can my, only play my, a
0: snippet now. Yes.
4: Yeah. My son taught me a lot about how teens, you know, I'm sure Joe and Spike, you know, your kids as well, well they're not kids anymore. Um, but my, my 40 year old me, kids. Yes. <laughs> I know. My son taught me a lot about how he discovered music and it was YouTube memes to start. Mm, and yep. that's how he that's how he got acquainted with Alan White. And yes. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, and And that was one of the first songs he got attracted to. And then he's like, "Well, I want to do that, and I want to use that that song." And I said, "Well, if you're going to use that song, you have to ask Alan White's permission." And he's like, "Well, he won't know." And I go, "Well,
0: nah, actually, the algorithm will let's know. Let's take a yeah.
4: drive, and he will know because you're going to ask his permission, and that's oh, in
0: person."
1: Oh. <laughs> yeah. No kidding.
0: You took him to Alan White's. That's so cool.
4: I took him to Alan um, White's. So, I
1: mean, the kids have such short attentions, man. you want to see a teenager's head explode? show them an eight minute song on their music log on their show. It's like eight minutes. I, yeah. I mean, they don't even listen to a whole right, song. They'll right. listen to a minute. Then they'll go to the next one. So yeah, complained
4: that smells like teen spirit was too long at five something. Um, exactly. But yeah. there's
1: a, there's still stuff out there and I'm, I'm a believer that it's going to keep coming. Um, there's a band. My daughter just sent me pantsuit guy out of Bellingham and it's a girl oh, band yeah. called pantsuit guy. They're pretty good. Uh, right here on Mercer Island, Naked Giants. They've been around for a few years now, but they're really good. I mean, there's. I, a- I think, Joe, that it's out there. I think that. Yeah, totally. I think
0: there is more music out there than ever before. And I think the young Led Zeppelins or ACDCs or Beatles or whatever they all are, the problem is they don't have even a way. To be starving artists, much less make a living, much less clubs to play at at night, much less music curators and record A&R
2: guys who are looking for them. And I think
4: it's a different avenue, Bob.
2: It's um, algorithms, right? I well, mean, if, if yeah. any girl can make a million dollars on OnlyFans, which blows my mind, they brought porn to the mainstream and put the money in the women's hands instead of the, instead of the dirt digglers of the world. Um, I think we should be only bands where we start like an only, only band service <laughs> where bands get to monetize themselves to their audience. I think so. you're right. <laughs> nice. I think
0: actually one of the existing platforms, it could be uh, Spotify, it could be Google, it could be YouTube, it could be, uh, Sirius XM should actually create a farm club for weekend and overnight type people that could do their own mm-hmm. radio shows for free. Oh, great. Here's the software. Here's the music library, which we pay. You go out and attract an audience. And then, you know, just cause that's the business model of social media. Now it's, we all work for free for Jeff Zuckerberg and TikTok, And <laughs> although Facebook, I saw the greatest line in, um, ted lasso last uh, last week it was uh yeah i'm not interested facebook that uh, facebook that's just for grandparents and racists now
2: (laughs) oh (laughs) fighting sarcasm so so true it hurts
3: yes
2: (laughs) so all right well
0: fascinating um we've we've said a lot we've reminisced for a good deal over an hour now how should we wrap this up
2: uh, well, since AI is going to replace us all in six months anyway, let's just thank the Lord for the time we've had together. Yes. Does that Terrell mean that Burnett. we have to talk to each other in monotone? It
4: has I been know a wonderful time visiting with you today.
2: I we we did a CBS top of the hour news update today, and I would bet my house that the guy doing the CBS hourly news update was AI. Oh. There's no way. There's no way this guy's diction and delivery was that good.
4: Did people not? know
2: about Skynet? I, I know. I said that none of you guys saw Terminator but me. Are you kidding? Skynet? Well, I'll, I know who does the CBS Evening
1: News voiceover, and it's not AI. It's a guy named Carson Beck, and he's from Mercer Island. He was a kid. and When you hear the CBS Evening News, if you'd like to know more, go to our you know podcast. That's a kid named Carson, not a kid anymore, but uh, yeah. he's pretty good. Yeah. He does a lot of the CBS stuff. Well, we By the are. Way, I'm coming to your work tomorrow, Spike. I'll be down there. I'll see you at Bonneville or I won't. See oh, you. right on. Are I'll they hiring you. you too? Well, Good. I'm going to the Human Resources Department, but no, not to be hired. Oh. They're, they're... They want my kids. They don't want me. They want, they want young people to replace people like me and you. So, Mar, Mar and
2: our HR director is a wonderful, wonderful yeah. person. You're gonna love she her. She is. Yeah, we're yeah.
1: gonna talk about internship yep. opportunities and. They're stuff blessed
0: like to that. have you, Spike. But I think you're one of the yeah. last Bidens to get in there. I think they're all going to be younger people now, 40s and 30 year olds, and the old white guys. Uh, you know. Last hurrah. You are awesome, by the way. You are sounding so good on the radio. Oh, so thanks. good. Yes.
2: Um, they're they're letting me, they're let me be me. myself. Yeah, they are. Joe, I'll tell you what. Um you know Nate's working there. Nate Connors is working there. Yep. It's it's amazing It's amazing how many people that other other companies have tossed aside because they got too accomplished in their lives that uh, that Bonneville still sees value. It's pretty Well, amazing. the good news yeah. for
1: me is summer's coming and I got some time on my hands. So if you yeah. got a project that you need some help with, maybe, uh, you know, you never know. Tell them to give Bob Spike and Joe a half hour at the latest time, you know, when nobody would care. And let's just get on there and have some fun or something. Mm
0: -hmm. And Bonneville is a great, seriously, a great company. And they see the long, first off, they don't have debt. They don't, they're not speaking to lenders. And they see the long range future of uh, developing talent, much like, you know, the, the good old days, they're still there. So, um, I, I think it's uh, wonderful that you are there and Joe, Thanks. you're doing amazing work and I'm sitting there. Yeah, you
2: are brother. I'm yeah. proud of you,
1: man. I'll tell you a bit too. I'll, I'll end with this because if you guys aren't watching the Seattle crack and you're missing out on something here, the whole city is on fire. The only problem is I don't know anything about hockey. So, um, uh, I think the whole city needs hockey lessons and, and yeah. I, found, I found somebody to give him. In fact, he's coming down here. We're, We've got a playoff soccer game we're going to broadcast here in a bit. But uh, I got Kraken Max. He's a seventh grader, and he's teaching me how to watch hockey. And he is great. This kid is a natural. And uh, he's, he's a seventh grader now, going into eighth grade. He's not even going to be in my program for a couple of years. But he meets me at 7 in the morning to recap the Kraken games. And uh, I think that's a good bit for Cairo or any station. you got to teach this city what hockey is. What's a blue line? What's icing? You know, what is all this business? You know, I
2: love this.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a bit <laughs> we've, we've been cracking Max down to Cairo. I mean, you you should really, you know, this city needs to be educated. Um, nobody knows what the heck hockey is, but we all love a winner and we got a winner right now, so we gotta get up to speed on how to root for them. Beautiful.
0: Good stuff. Uh, Joe, your students are the are the future. They're going to do that. I I do want to say this. Uh, mother's Day is coming up. Kathy, I want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. Joe, you Thank said you. you had something figured out for Mother's Day.
1: Well, I actually I i, I don't have too much figured out, except that um, I got a lot of mothers uh, to to, um, you know, to spread around my time. My mom's in Tucson and it's a blessing to have a lot of mothers. I have my wife, and then I have my stepmom. But I did think of something today that accomplished a lot of things at once. Okay, um, is this uh, a my tip kids, we can all use? Uh, I think so, uh, right. maybe. Um, Kathy, cover uh, your my, ears because we might have
0: now uh, surprised you. Yeah. Well, okay. no, no, no,
1: this is uh, my <laughs> okay. kids. Were, one kid said, "You know what would be neat is if we recorded something for our moms and put it on the radio." And I said, "That's wonderful. I will give anybody ten points on your." card if you produce a wonderful mother's day greeting i said but not just for the grade think about this your mom is going to get the most unique gift she's ever had it's a lot better than a card it's you expressing your love for your mom you're probably going to get a little bump in your allowance and you're going to score tons of points and you're going to get a grade and you're going to make our radio station sound great so Uh. lo and behold Within an hour, I had a dozen, and then now tomorrow I'll get a dozen more. So uh, these kids are going to make our Mother's Day programming sound better than any radio station. They're going to help their grade. They're going to score points with their mom, and it's one less assignment for me to have to think of, and I thought it was a win all the way around.
0: Yeah, Genius. Genius move. Uh, And I'm going to do something like that for Lisa, but I'll probably put it on Facebook uh, because if I put it in this podcast, she'll never find it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's awesome my wife will <clears throat> she listens to every minute of you whether i'm on here or not she's your you told me fan. she's a fan that means a lot to me she's she, she loves loves hearty. your bob and zip she loves that she misses doesn't ever miss an episode awesome we'll tell her thank
0: you for me thank you spike and cat the late kathy faulkner uh, You've Thanks been, for the
4: invitation.
0: Well, you've been a tremendous person and a wonderful friend for this past year, and um, and super important decades ago. So this is a pleasure. Uh, oh, I want to tell you folks about a podcast where you can hear Kathy get even deeper into this. What was that show called? So they can Google it. It
4: was the Sound Off.
0: Sound podcast? Off with uh, what was the guy's name? Um, Matt Cadell. Matt Cadell. Matt. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll have uh, I'll have Dave put a link. Uh, So you can check that out. It's even more in-depth about if you're really a Seattle music, you know, fan and you want to hear even more. Um, That's going to do it for us today. We try to get together every week or two, Bob, Spike, and Joe, and reminisce. Or I'm glad today we didn't talk about old white guy politics and stuff. It's...
2: I'm all talked out. I did it all afternoon. I know it's it all rewrite. Yeah, you've but already you gave it the <laughs> office. Living
1: it takes right. the fun out of it to come right. and do it on a podcast. Probably.
2: <laughs> all
0: right. Well, Kathy, bless you. Thank you so much for being on with us. Thank you. Thanks Kathy Faulkner. Hey. All right. Uh, Spike and Joe, was that fun?
3: <laughs>
0: My dogs liked it. Your dog is a huge fan <laughs> of the late Kathy
3: Faulkner. All right.
0: And Joe, mentor to future media stars. Again, of all of us, I
1: think you're doing the most
0: important work.
3: Well, in 13
1: Amen. minutes we've got a live soccer broadcast we got dueling playoff games at seven o'clock we got soccer we also have a baseball playoff all and unfortunately we can only broadcast one we have one radio station but i'll be uh, here at 10 o'clock tonight and i got here at seven this morning to meet and max and that's my day uh every day but i love it if you if you do something by the way i don't know how much of this you're going to keep but i got a great guest for you too either one of you
0: we don't have to edit you out we don't we're not coming up to commercials or news time or okay. anything keep going this on. lady is creati-
1: <laughs> she is a creativity coach and she teaches you about uh creativity she's got a new book coming out about kids and how to unleash their creativity but she came and talked to my kids and one thing she said is you never burn out on doing something you love because people ask me you work too hard you work too many hours where do you get the energy i love what i do no. you know you never you no. never burn out on that so uh but she'd be i'll connect you bob you two would hit it off totally she's got a new book out she had the last one was a bestseller and forward. it's all yeah. it's all about making you more creative so
0: i love that and i uh I don't need to learn about hockey because I'm not in Seattle, but I need to learn about baseball because the Oakland Athletics are soon going to be the Las Vegas Athletics. Is yeah. Right?
1: Oh, and I can't wait to come visit you when the Mariners are in town. That's going to be wonderful. When Lisa and I moved to Las
0: Vegas, exactly. I thought it might be a dog move. <laughs> but, uh, but what made it convincing for this time in our lives there were a couple of things we love entertainment so i want to go see concerts any night of the week we could do that i like hiking and desert hiking you get to do 10 months out of the year but also i said to lisa every week people are going to be coming to las vegas because it's a tourist town and we're going to get to see friends and family and people that we love and they're going to fly and that has happened so i mean i i'm like i wish there was a baseball team here baseball team. Granted, it's coming. Um, you know what I mean? There's an NFL team here. Well, I wish they were as good as the Patriots. Well, we're hiring the Patriots offensive coordinator and we're going to throw yeah. lots of mafia. I mean, lots of money, money. At this. <laughs> <laughs> and so it has been wonderful, uh, being here and, um,
1: you've already visited once. And I'm, I'm already flirting with the idea of coming back the week after school I can fly round trip, leaving on a Monday, coming back on a Thursday with a hotel room, single occupancy, $189. That's for hotel and airfare. Flight? What airline are you on? Um, Well, it will be Frontier or or Crush Your Spirit. It'll be one of those two. Frontier (laughs) or Crush Your Spirit airline. By the way, because of you, we've now
0: flown on both of those airlines.
1: Yeah, I mean, if if you go light, and I mean light is in, don't take anything more in a computer bag, and you don't mind sitting in a plastic seat, they won't put you out on the wing. I mean, they're going to put you in the in plane. In the plane, that's right. Yeah. And, and in other words, how long can you
0: torture yourself feeling cramped and miserable?
1: Couple hours for for thirty bucks. I mean, that's that's a, that's a it's good 30 price. Thirty bucks to fly. About about 30, 40 bucks. I've flown under 50 one way uh, several, not several times, but a few times. Um, That's with taxes and everything. Wow. All right. Come
2: a visit. Spike, last words. I miss you. guys. This is the best time, best part of my day. Uh, seeing you too. I swear to God, nothing changes. It's the wonderful. show is
0: great, though. I'm listening; it's awesome. It's, it's oh, you thanks. guys are funny, and Jack really is the soul of the city. He's a young talk show host who gets better and better every single time I hear him. Thanks. And you're yeah. this bleeding heart liberal who he, the two of you offset each other very nicely. Um,
2: and you have—I mean, dare I say—you're getting a little bit housebroken. <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate that I, I i know you mean that with the best intention
0: i actually mean that as a compliment like <laughs> no, like, it, it, like the bull in the china shop doesn't get asked back to a lot of china shops
2: no not very often. <laughs> yeah uh, but you're, one and
0: done you're funny you're genuine i had a dear friend who watches this podcast say to me wow spike brings a lot to the table and it's because you do you read thanks you read obsessively you're like i can't keep up with all of the talking points and bullet points and all of the most recent news developments i just i tend to tune it all out with a with a you know sarcastic yeah. um it, it, but but the truth is you're very well informed and i learn stuff listening to you so i'm as you know i'm a regular listener now it's amazing how this internet works you can hear anybody anywhere any any time
2: it's I, I'm I i can't believe I've been blessed enough to have the life I've had and a chance to keep doing it. So right. I'm happy. I'm Both happy of you are
0: doing great, important work. Check out Spike Noon to 3, Cairo Middays, and check out Joe at, uh, well, his amazing KMIH, job. Man. KMIH,
2: man. KMIH.org.
0: Anywhere in the world. And you don't need a radio because it's KMIH.org, right? Yeah. And MIH means Mercer Island High.
2: Yeah. Which, when
0: I was yeah. in high school, had a different connotation than it does now.
2: Yeah, I, could, I I told them got mi high, but they don't they don't like that one. No, like, no. Yeah, they don't like
0: that. Uh, anyway, you're doing amazing work. All right, everybody, cheers. Let's let's cheers, close man. with the Bob, Spike, and Joe jingle. Here we go. Whoop. did I hit it?